0: So, good evening, everyone. So I was asked just to introduce myself. Some people, a number of people know me, but some of you don't. Um, uh, I teach here in the East Bay. I actually co-teach a Wednesday night meditation group. It's listed on, on the website of, the, of this group. And I teach all around the Bay Area and around the country. And so my name is Richard Shankman. And I come here and sub for James from time to time. I'm really happy to be here. Um, So um, there are there are a number of benefits from meditation practice, as many of you know from your own experience. And I roughly divide those into two, the benefits into two groups. One group of benefits, types of benefits, is the ability of, the, of us to settle more, to be more peaceful, to be more calm. Um, it may not have felt that way to you tonight, depending on what was going on with you, right? If you sit down to meditate, sometimes our minds go crazier. Or maybe they don't go crazy, we just notice how crazy they are, right? Because we. So, but certainly one important piece of practice that does come with time is the ability to settle down. Matter of fact, um, sometimes we use the word concentration, but I don't like that word. But to be just to be less distracted, more present. Um, So we can say a lot more about that later. A second type of benefit from meditation practice is not so much around um, the peace and the calm that comes, but it's what's called insight. And the insight piece can be talked about in a lot of different ways, but it's basically insight, seeing into, seeing more clearly just what's going on in our lives, the, the, uh, the nature of our own minds and our own bodies and all of our experiences. The ability of the mind to be less distracted is a powerful support to be able to see more clearly into ourselves. And what's the purpose of seeing more clearly into ourselves? Well, um, we all know how um, we just look into your own life and we all know that I hope for all of us that there are plenty of times of peace and joy and happiness, and that's part of human experience. Um, But even in the best of situations, there's also times of difficulties and struggle and suffering, and it's a mix. It's a mix for all of us, and some of us will have more of one than another, depending on just our own circumstance. But we all know what it's like to suffer and go through difficulty, every one of us, right? And that's just being a human being. But um, the problem we run into is that um, we tend to look for our well-being, look for our happiness, and always trying to have certain experiences, what we call pleasant or the positive experiences of life, or the way we want life to look. And we tend to very much not want to have unpleasant, difficult experiences in our life. Right? Everybody's that way. And the only problem is, is that life doesn't always cooperate with us. Right? It doesn't always do what we want it to do. Right? You want it to go this way, and it's going along, and all of a sudden this other mean old nasty thing pops up in your life. Um, so... Um, can we find some way of being that is not so that our happiness and well-being isn't completely dependent on the way the winds of life happen to blow? Because if if our happiness is completely dependent on that, then our well-being and happiness is out of our own control. It's dependent on external circumstances. So, that's how we all live our lives. We're human beings. So, when we learn to be more settled and peaceful and calm, that's the inner peace that's often talked about in meditation. So, it's less dependent on circumstances and more about um, how we're relating to whatever's happening. It's not the experience so much anymore, but it's how we're relating to whatever experience is happening. We start to make shifts in how we relate to our experience and then the other piece of the insight is we start to see more clearly the way our minds work the habitual tendencies of being reactive and automatically without even noticing it so much time when so much of the time when a difficulty does arise we're just so quick to want to get rid of it push it away being reactive and we set up a whole struggle with it i'm not saying you shouldn't try to Fix difficult situations in your life when you can. Sure. We're all going to do that. But in the meantime, also, let's learn to find peace, the freedom, the liberation, if you will. What does that mean to be free? Uh, Maybe we'll talk more about that. In the midst of, you know, just however it is for you. You know? Somebody just a little while ago who I know here was sharing with me a difficult, uh, very challenging medical diagnosis that his spouse just received. I hope things will be all right, but you don't know. You know, All of a sudden you're okay, and all of a sudden you discover, oh, you've got this whatever, it's some kind of cancer or whatever it is that you didn't know you had. You know, How are we going to work with it? it was probably If you get something really challenging like that, it's probably... Going to be asking a lot, you know, to to think you're not going to have any difficult reactions out of that. Right? But can we maybe have some tools that can help us at least get through it and work with the difficulties more? So there's a lot of other benefits we can talk about with meditation practice, but um, that's just by way of intro what I really want to focus on tonight are what are some of the practices that can support us in these things, that can support us in in opening our hearts in love and compassion, in helping us be more awake and clear, not living so much of our life on what I call automatic pilot. It right? was how we mostly live all life. Sometimes people say we kind of live our lives unconsciously. And I know what they mean, but it's not really... Um, The best. We have to be clear on what they mean because we're not unconscious. We're just on what automatic pilot. There's something. There's a qualitative difference when we all of a sudden kind of wake up in the midst of our lives and are awake and and clear in the moment. We're mindful. We know what's happening, right? There's a real difference if you know you're. I don't know. I'll make up an example. Say you're at your work. And you're having a difficult interaction with a coworker, and there's some anger. And if you're just caught up in it, you're conscious, but you're kind of just caught in it. And it's real different to be mindful and present and awake about what's happening, and to know, oh, okay, there's anger going on in my mind, right? Rather than just react out of it. So, what are the what are some of the different kinds of practices that can uh, be supportive, because it's not just one kind of practice. And in fact, I want to, let me read something here from Jack Kornfield. This is an interview he gave. And I think he, uh, just one moment. Jack said, This is Jack Cornfield. Any practice that cultivates mindfulness and wise effort and investigation and joy and concentration and calm and equanimity and compassion will bring one to liberation. And there are many, many ways to do that. This understanding of the mandala of skillful means is enormously helpful for us as we bring all these different Buddhist traditions together. And then I'm going to skip here. He said, continuing, he says, from the moment the Buddha died, according to the stories in the, in the old texts, there are those who wanted to conserve things exactly as they were when the Buddha lived. And then there were those who wanted to adapt them and change them in different ways. This disagreement started at the death of the Buddha and continues to this day. We need those who conserve tradition. And we also need those who can adapt the language and the skillful means to a new culture. And then one more piece I want to share. If you go back to the old countries of Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka, you can't even get the Theravada, that's a branch of Buddhism, you can't get the Theravada masters themselves to agree. I have heard so many masters say, I teach the true way right from the suttas, that's the discourses that were preserved from the time of the Buddha, right from the original. This is the real way the Buddha taught. I've heard a whole bunch of masters say that, and yet they contradicted one another when they said it. So I don't buy it. That's called ignorance. The real freedom is what Ajahn Chah, who was a great Thai master, understood. The real freedom is the freedom of letting go. It's not the freedom of clinging to what believes is historically true, because what is historically true is this mandala, and it's not one way. If you have been in the Buddhist or the Dharma or the meditation world for any length of time, you get exposed to a number of different teachers. Come, different teachers come here, right? Substitute for James. Who probably teach a, all kinds of different practices because people are doing many, many different things. They're not always doing one thing. And if you're new to practice, maybe you've just read a book or like maybe you just came here for the first time and like I gave you a particular very simple instructions on breath meditation. The good news is, is that there's not a right or wrong or any of these practices. What's important is finding the practice that suits each of us best. And it's not going to be the same for each of us. It's like Jack was saying. What is it that supports us to be more clear and awake? Right? I'll say the word to be to live as enlightened as we can be and as loving and as compassionate as we can be and as free as we can be that's going to vary for for each of us. So I want to talk about a few different ways that we might hear meditation practice and how we can hold all of those. But first what I'd like to do is I actually want to ask people some of you may if you not feel comfortable raising your hand and that's fine, but if you do feel comfortable, I'm going to name a few just a few different ways that people might be practicing and if you if you are practicing that way and if you feel comfortable to raise your hand just to get a sense of the range of the different ways that people practice, I'm going to name some things that are all great ways to meditate. So I'm just cu- and you may raise your hand for more than one of these. So I'm curious, how many people here um, do some kind of breath meditation on the breath, um, incorporate breath? So a lot of people incorporate breath, and I'll raise my hand. In fact, my whole practice is breath meditation. I'll say more about that. Okay. How many people here um, don't particularly focus on the breath but, but might meditate in a way where you just try to be as mindful as you can to whatever it is that's most predominant in your awareness, but you don't really pick any one thing like the breath to give any preference to? You just try to stay open and aware. Of. Okay, quite a number of people. Like that's a little different than focusing on the breath to being more open. How many people meditate on sound as your primary practice? Okay, so not as many, but probably 10 hands came up. That's about what I would expect. How many people people here do body scan? And if you don't know what a body scan, okay, so a number of people. And for those who don't know, it's it's a practice where you systematically start, and there's a lot of ways. Not just the way I'm gonna say. Even body scan can be done a lot of different ways. But one way is you would start with the awareness, say, at the top of your head, and you'd slowly move the awareness through your whole body, through your arms, down the torso and through the legs, and just experience what's happening in the body. Okay? So a number of people doing those. Some of you, I realize, are probably doing more than one of these. How many people here would do some kind of mantra practice? Maybe you repeat some kind of mantra. Okay. Right, and and someone just pointed out that respiration could be working. As a matter of fact, I even gave instructions earlier about doing mental noting, and even in and out, it can. That's a whole discussion we can have, but it's, it's it's a mantra kind of a practice too. How many people here do some kind of visualization practice? We won't go into what that is. Anyone here? So a few hands. Okay, do visualization practice. You already see. I'm just going to name a couple, one or two more. But you get the idea. It's not one way. We're not all sitting here doing the same thing, for those of you who are new. Um, Inner sound. I can actually think of a bunch more. Uh, Maybe we'll just leave it at that. If I left out your practice, there's there's other things we could have said. Oh, I'll just name one more. Anybody here work with touch points, which is maybe you pick two or three or four main places in the body. It's not like a body scan. And maybe you'll just move the tension from one to another to another back, move around. So, well, a few hands work with touch points. Yeah. Anyone here whose main practice, this may trigger some things in some people with what I'm about to say, so just who are dealing with really a lot of chronic pain and whose real practice is working with pain. I saw some heads nodding, but I don't see any hands. I go, okay. There are people, I met a woman uh, this weekend who was in a wheelchair who had severe rheumatoid arthritis and her hands were all twisted up and she was really into it. She'd been dealing with it for years. Um, she said at this point in her life she'll go through phases when it's quite severe and unrelenting and then there'll be other phases where it's not as... She's kind of had some relief, but she said she went through a long period in her life where she never had any relief. And slowly, you know, it took her years. She was not able to really work with it. It was just too much. But she was trying to go into it, and she got to a point where the practice was just right into the pain. And she described it in this way. Now, what she described, I'm sure took a long, lot of years of practice to get to, but being able to go so much in the pain and just surrender right into it so much. She said it started breaking open into bliss and light and vibration, and it shifted her whole. Not that she never still had any difficulties either. That was her whole practice, bringing her mindfulness right to pain. If that's what's happening, and you know, if someone's telling you to do breath meditation and what's really happening is, you, you know, it feels like a knife stabbing in your knee, then um, it, won't, it won't be asking your opinion, right? Your, your, practice, your meditation practice will be pain meditation. But anyway, so that's another way. So anyway, you get the idea here that there's already among just those few uh, samples that I said that there's a, a number of ways to practice. in our tradition you know we do this meditation called insight meditation or in the Pali language vipassana been translated in english as insight sometimes it means to see clearly we say and with even with vipassana meditation there's quite a range of ways that it's taught taught and if some for some people insight meditation is equated with mindfulness and i'm sure many of you have heard it this way and um, it's not about getting concentration or any particular meditative states. It's just being mindful as best you can, moment to moment, with whatever's happening in your experience. And You'll hear people talk like that. And if you go to a place like Spirit Rock or Insight Meditation Society in Berry, Massachusetts, um, or other centers, there's a range of ways it gets taught. Sometimes it gets taught as start with the breath, or it could be some other objects. And in fact, I should say that uh, there are some people for who the breath is not a good meditation subject to begin with. It's generally taught as something that is kind of universal, but that's actually not true. For example, um, a couple examples I often give is I've known someone who had asthma, and when they would bring their awareness right there, it would actually cause some a little panic or fear could come up, so it wasn't so good. Or another person had a choking incident as a child, and something around the breath could bring up some, maybe there was some trauma still there, or something like that. So there are. there's a percentage of people, it's no problem if, if breath's not a good met- object for you, because um, you can see there's a whole range of ways to practice, and so then you read a book, or you talk to a teacher, and you, you know you get different practices. If you're trying to work with the breath and you can't concentrate. That doesn't mean the breath's not a good object for you. That just means your mind's not trained, and your mind's out of control. So that's what we're that's what we're training ourselves. So one way that if you were to go say to Spirit Rock, that uh, depending on the teacher, they might say start with the breath, work with it for a few days on the retreat until you got concentrated and dropped in and settled more, and then don't particularly give the breath any preference. You kind of open the awareness up and are just kind of just present and awake, noticing with your mindfulness whatever's, you know, it might be body sensations, it might be sounds, another breath, back to the body, it could be emotions, just whatever's predominant in your awareness in any moment. That's one style. Another style, and and, and in that style, they may not even um, ever talk about this ability, I'm using this word concentration, the word in Pali is samadhi, but it means to be undistracted and settled. They may never emphasize that at all. Matter of fact, some teachers will say, you don't want to talk about getting concentrated or any kind of meditative states because for so many people, they're saying, well, I, I'm not getting that. And it'll set up some kind of striving. That, well, wait, this doesn't relate to, to my life and practice. So that's a good point. And we'll, I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. Because we don't want to set up a striving, we're like, I'm supposed to get this, and right. But that's one way that it might be talked about. Another way is kind of the other end of the spectrum. You'll hear people sometimes saying, No, 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 that's not right. You you definitely have to make a big deal about concentration. And in fact. If you really want to get anywhere in your meditation, you have to get these specialized meditative states and I'll put a word out here that some of you know and some of you haven't called jhana. Don't worry about jhana if you don't haven't heard that word, but it's these really um, probably the, the deepest level of concentration and there's always a very can be a lot of bliss and profound peace and calm and they're just deep meditative states and they're saying you've got to not only get pay attention to concentration but you've got to get that okay so that's another. And then there's people like me who are kind of in between. I'll say more in a minute because um, uh, I want to actually offer you a, another type of meditation that you may want to experiment with. Um, and I'll say more about what that in between, there's many in between ways that it might look like. Um, some people will say that ability of the mind to become settled, I'll use the word concentration, concentrate, And mindfulness and insight practice are two separate paths of practice because if you can get so concentrated sometimes that you actually just get so focused that you kind of lose connection. Ultimately, it is possible to lose kind of connection with your body and with your mind and everything. And if we're trying to do insight, remember I mentioned earlier that one of the benefits of meditation is to have more insight, seeing more clearly into how our minds and bodies work, the reactive qualities and and all of that kind of thing. Well, we need to have some connection with our minds and bodies to do that. And if you went into some kind of meditative state where you couldn't feel your body anymore, for example, some of you probably be just thinking, what the heck is he talking about? But that's fine, don't worry about it. Um, you wouldn't be able to do the insight. And they'll say, so if you do these concentration kind of practices, then you, you have to later turn to these other kind of practices called insight. And actually the way it's mostly taught is sort of these two different ways. And if you're doing insight, then you're not thinking about the concentration so much. It's a whole other way that, that, going back to what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, we actually can bring those together, and they're not separate paths of practice. That's actually what that book's kind of about back there. So when we hear all these different styles of practice, the important thing is we don't want to, hopefully we don't get confused, or we think what's the right or wrong, or I have to do it this way, and other teachers said we're supposed to do it that way. You know, the more tools you have in your toolkit, if we use it wisely, then we're not confused. But we, part of the art of meditation is knowing which tool to pull out when, right? So that just comes with practice. When Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and some others first came back in the early and mid-70s here into this country who had been practicing in Asia, and started teaching meditation practice. They had studied with a number of different teachers. It wasn't just with one, but they actually taught in a style that was heavily influenced by one particular great Burmese meditation master. His name was Mahasi Sayadaw. You'll hear that name sometime. He's no longer alive. But um, some Upandita and some others who were his his students are now old, and they're senior teachers. And that particular style, is only one style of many, many ways that Vipassana meditation is taught and understood. And actually, it turns out, Mahasi Saida was real controversial. There are actually whole books out there that I've seen. uh, They're not in this country, but of sort of, I don't know if you'd call them Dharma wars, about, you you know, people kind of attacking Mahasi because he's totally screwed up the way he's taught meditation, and the Mahasi people defending back, and then somebody will give their argument, and somebody will... You know, counter that exact argument with all their arguments and back and forth. It's just like goes on and on and on. That particular style really has been ex- not that there have been a lot of other influences that have come in uh, in over you know the years, and and I won't get into all those. But you know, here we have people practice in these different Zen traditions, and there's a lot of the here we're in a Chan Buddhist monastery, and there's the. Uh, Tibetan, you know, Vajrayana. So there's been a lot of other influences, but the, really the main influence for the insight meditation scene in, in our country has been Mahasi Sayadaw. Just happen, if they had happened to have been coming from someone else, it would be, it'd look like a whole different thing. So it's great. I don't practice in that style myself. I do teach in that style. I teach retreats at Spirit Rock, Fair Mountain, so um, I can teach it, but that's not. I don't actually practice in that style the Mahasi style, kind of the way you normally hear. Um, so I want to tell you how I practice, and you, you may or may not be interested. It might be something new to you. Um, but the important thing, the most important thing, I'm, again, I just, I'm saying it a few times because it's so important, I want to emphasize this. There's not a right or wrong, and there's not a better than or less than to any of this. It's just lots and lots of different skillful means. So having said that, I want to offer a style of practice to you that you can, we won't actually do it here, but you can sort of reflect on it and see if it might be of any benefit or use to you in your practice. So I just want to preface that by saying something about what's called the foundations of mindfulness. So some of you are very familiar with what's called the four foundations of mindfulness, but and some of you will never have heard this. But basically, the way we teach, if you were to go to James, uh, go to his beginning meditation class. I know a lot of you have taken that class, for example. Well, how does it? How does he normally teach? And this would be the same way in, that most people would teach. You'd start with the breath. The next week you'd come back, he'd say, he'd say okay, now we're going to expand the instructions so that we're with the breath. But we also connect with any, we're open to any experiences that might happen in the body so we 're open to, to other aspects to bring our mindfulness into the body we could get in a whole, you know such a range of experiences and then later we might open to be to expand more and to be to incorporate the whole range of emotions into our practice and the whole range of um, the thoughts and images that can come in the mind and noticing if our experiences are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. There's a lot of different things we open up to. So ultimately, nothing is excluded, or I should say everything is included as part of the meditation, and it's just the act of bringing the mindfulness. Right? Is that a way that many of you have been taught about meditation? Yeah. And then people who teach like that might say, you don't worry about the concentration part because it naturally deepens, which is true, just by bringing the mindfulness and bringing the mind back over and over. Okay? So I want to mention that just to make sure if, for some of you who haven't heard it because um, I want to offer a style of practice that's breath meditation. So my entire practice, if I've been practicing for... Um, 39 years my entire practice has been breath meditation and um, breath meditation can op- can proceed in a couple of different ways one way it can proceed is you can focus on the breath say for example the nose which is where I work with the breath and if you were to stick with it and put a lot of effort into it what would happen for every single one of us here even if you don't think you can meditate, it just happens. It's like anything, you know, it's like if you first sit down to play the piano. You wouldn't expect that you'd be any good at it, right? First time you ever sat down, it's your first lesson. you going to have any skill at all? No. You wouldn't expect to. Well, and you know that with time, it will grow. It's the same thing, right? When you first sit down and you try to be mindful of your breath, your mind's going to be jumping all over the place. You can't do it. That's just normal. Sometimes we make a problem. We think we're supposed to sit down and be able to concentrate and stay with it the first day. So we want to be careful and realize, of course, that's not true. But if you were to keep working with it, your ability to settle and not lose the breath and not go off and forget about it would strengthen and could strengthen and strengthen. And if you kept strengthening it, you could you could narrow your awareness down so much that... You really are concentrated on the breath, and you kind of forget about the body. It's not there in your consciousness so much anymore, and the emotions and thoughts and everything else in your experience. And that's why they say sometimes you can't do the insight practice so much, because you kind of lose connection with yourself. Because You just kind of go into the... That's one way breath meditation can unfold. For, for Okay. The way I practice is 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 just the opposite. So, what I just talked about, by the way, I call it an exclusive practice because it excludes everything else. Because you're zooming in more and more. It takes time, but that's what happens. And it can feel great, by the way. You can feel very peaceful and calm, and it can be blissful, and it's great. It is great, right? Those, I see some heads nodding. Um, and it has its own benefits, for just to help us be calm and peaceful. So it has a lot of benefits. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why people might say if you do that practice a lot, then you have to come out of that concentration practice and do this other kind of practice called insight, where you're not so concentrated so you can feel your body again. Again, I realize for people who are newer, this is going to feel very far away. But I'm just going sort of to look into where it can head. I teach in the opposite i teach a way in which the breath is called what i call inclusive practice and so it's a way in which you same exactly start the same thing you just bring your awareness to your breath and it's what the way i say it is we give strong preference to the breath by preference it doesn't mean you cling on to the breath and never you can't try to be with anything else even if you're doing breath meditation, there's always going to be times when there's other things going on and it's, you know, what's happening in the moment is not the breath and you need to work with all these other parts of their mindfulness in the body and the mind and emotions. You're always going to need to do that. So we need to have those tools. But for the times, which can be a fair amount of the time when things are more settled, we give, I would say, strong preference to the breath. That's the way I teach. Not cling to it. Know when it's time to let go of the breath and be with something else. But give it quite strong preference. And by doing that, it will strengthen that ability, the mind to be present and focused. And then what can happen, and sometimes it happens naturally, and sometimes it's not naturally, and then there's ways you can guide people, which I'm not going to get into the details of. Through the breath, it naturally, it does two things at the same time. You get very, very deep and concentrated. But you're also naturally opened up into the experience of the body that way. So it's not like I either have to be mindful of the body, and I, but I'm not that concentrated. Or I can be really concentrated, but now I'm not connected with the body. You're bringing them both together. When I go back and read the, the old Pali language texts, these 24 2,000-year-old text that preserved these teachings of the Buddha. This is the way that, the, to the best of my understanding, that was really more the way the Buddha was practicing, although what I just said is very controversial. And In fact, that book back there, I'm not pushing books, I'm just telling you, is that uh, this is the whole point of the book is looking at the different ways that this is understood in some... And then we interview all these teachers and see where they all fit in the, in the spectrum of possible approaches. But... And by the way, all these different ways are real experiences that you can have. Every way you practice, people really do go deep in all of them. And we see these great masters who have practiced in all this different way and seem to have real depth of realization. So that's the good news is that whichever way you go, um, it's not like you're going to screw it up if you don't get the right one. So that's the good news. But if we practice in a way, and actually I left out the most important part. The beginning part is you try to bring in the attitude of not trying to get anywhere. Where, where, where this practice is heading is to be deeply concentrated and even can go into these, for those of you who are interested these meditative states called jhana. For those of you who don't know, forget about that. But um, starting with the attitude of not trying to get anywhere. Just be happy with what you get in the present moment, whatever that your experience is, and bring your mindfulness right to that. And we always keep that attitude. We often need help to do that, because that's not so easy to do, right? Just to relax into your present moment experience, because of course we want to get those great meditative experiences, just like we want to get, like I was saying earlier, we all want to have more pleasant experiences in normal life. And we want to have less unpleasant. So when we're meditating, it's more of the same. I want to have, you know, I remember when I first started meditating, just way back, and I was, remember so clearly I was sitting in a meditation hall like this back in the early 70s. I was new to meditation, and I, I remember everybody sitting there so still, and the words, I remember this so clearly, went through my mind. Look at them all. Everybody's blissed out but me. <laughs> I didn't know. (laughs) What was actually true is everybody's mind is like my mind, right? And of course, we're all having different versions of it. Maybe some people were blessed, I don't know. That's that warning, right? We all want that. So if we can start with an attitude of not striving towards anything, not trying to get anything, that just relaxes us right back and and then we don't worry about talking about concentration all these meditative states because we just practice in a way that naturally heads us to that way, but we're always resting in this place of kind of the cliche of be here now with whatever's actually happening. So we use the mindfulness to connect us with whatever's happening, give some preference to the breath, and from that relaxed place, get more and more concentrated, and then if it doesn't happen on its own as we start to go deeper, we actually turn the mind more into, open it out more into connecting with the body. But it's from a deeply concentrated place. And actually on its own, the breath, then, my experience has been that it just opens up into all these other parts of mindfulness that you hear about the body and the mind and the emotions, but it comes through a place that's actually deeply concentrated. So you can have both. You don't have to just do concentration or just do mindfulness, which is fine if you want to practice that way. Just bring them right there. And even for those of you who know about what's called jhana, you even might know that the uh, way I talk about it is a place that's deeply connected with the body. There's actually two completely different systems in that jhana. There's the kind of jhana where you can't feel your body, the way most people think of it. Actually, if you go back to the old text, it's, it's the opposite. It's profoundly connected with the experience of your body. Two different jhana systems. Both equally same depth of concentration, two different types of concentration. In one, you've kind of lost the mindfulness. In the other, you just bring the mindfulness up to meet whatever level of concentration you have. And that's what we're doing through the breath. Getting, letting the concentration go as far as you want and bringing the mindfulness to keep up to meet it as we go. I told someone I was going to talk about this tonight, and I was warned not to be talking about the concentration or even mention that word jhana or any of this stuff in this kind of general (coughs) public group. And I said, no, I am going to talk about it because I'm not trying to make people get anything. Anytime it comes up in your mind, i got to get, you're in trouble. I've had that happen, being on long retreats where I've had certain experiences in the past. And then I thought, well, this is going to be great. I'm going back, I'm on a long retreat, lasting for months or a year, however long you go. And, and you know it's going to be this, and, and then it goes its own way. And I've told the story here where I went to my teacher once I'd been sitting for several months and I thought I was going to get into these, those meditative states called jhana, which I had had before. But it wasn't happening on this retreat. And I went complaining to the teacher. And I said, you know, this, and the teacher said, well, you know, the, the, the deeper places of realization come not from attaining any particular experience or any particular meditative state. It's from non-clinging to whatever it is that is happening. And I said back... Well, yes, of course, that's true, but in order to really realize that, I got to (laughs) get. So I proceeded to suffer. It was a great teacher for me, actually, that retreat. I'm a tough case, so sometimes suffering has to beat me over the head. I've learned a lot, I'm not so bad as I used to be. Right? That craving mind that wants to, whatever. And When you really learn, it's just relaxing back in the present moment. Then, fine if someone's talking about gaining some particular, some place where we're pointing the practice towards, it's fine, and then it doesn't matter whether we're there or not because we've let we've gotten rid of the gaining idea. So really, it's bringing both two pieces that seem like they they are um, incompatible, where they come right together. Not no gaining at all, along with. Knowing where we want to head. And yes, there is a path that leads us to something. So for any of you who are interested, I'm going to stop uh, in just a moment. And we'll have just a few moments if there's any comments or questions. Um, You know, breath meditation can be a complete path of practice for those who are interested. There'll actually be some things going around from time to time uh, teaching it more for anyone who might be interested. Probably announcements go out so everybody will know about who's interested.
1: And it may not be of
0: interest to you. Yes. Uh, future, uh, future, could you uh, use the mic
1: if you don't mind? Thank you. Thank you. There's a Burmese teacher, uh, Tejanaya. Yes. And uh, <coughs> One of his, uh, I guess, concepts or principles is in very concentrated breath meditation that you can become very attached to the breath. It's another form of clinging. Would you speak to that?
0: Right. But sure you can. However, um, as a matter of fact, I'll even go further. If you do these concentrated forms of breath meditation, probably most of us are going to have some clinging cup of the mind. Because you know what? It's very, very pleasant. But that's not a reason... Um, um, matter of fact, let me just read a quote here, and then I'll say something specific. By the way, this teacher, Tejani, and I, I want to be careful not to misrepresent, because I know some, but he's a whole other style of practice where he's more interested... His practice is more about... instead of mindfulness of the breath or mindfulness of the body, it's really bringing the mindfulness to what's going on in the mind. Wouldn't you say that's true? Which is another... So for some people, that's very powerful, and that's where he's going right to the mind. And for lots of other people, it's like... You can't get... It's too much. It's hard. People can't do it. What I have found is through the breath meditation... I'm going to answer your question and come back in a moment. What I have found is through breath meditation, when that concentration is very strong... If you do it in this way, I'm talking about, that opens up. Then the mind is just effortlessly known, more clear than ever, exactly where he's trying to take you to. But you've got that support of the deeply clear, concentrated mind. So we want to we want to practice in a way that doesn't lose that, but actually opens us up into it, and then and then it can it can happen on its own more. But uh, your point is well taken, and uh, just a couple of things about that. One is I wanted to just a moment. I will say the Buddha. If you go back to the old texts, the Buddha made a huge deal. As a matter of fact, it's it's probably hard to uh, under uh, to to underemphasize how much the Buddha talked about getting these concentrated states. And he said the bliss, all this pleasant, should not be feared. He said definitely. I can quote you a bunch of quotes here right now, over and over. He said it should. You should go for it, basically. And be careful not to cling to it, because then it becomes a corruption. So it may happen. So we have to. Teachers have a responsibility then to work with students when that clinging comes up, and it can totally be worked with. And as some, as a, you know, I, uh, I would say I'm a recovering clinger. <laughs> I can say a few things about that, and I've had a lot of experience. As many of us, probably most of us, have meditating in order to have a particular kind of experience for the experiences as opposed in service of freeing the mind. So these meditative states that come, that can be very blissful and peaceful and calm and all that, and it feels great. Who wouldn't want to have that more than pain and suffering? Right? So it's kind of natural that the mind might want to go to that. And the more intensely, deeply we go into these states, the more, even more pleasant it is. And so sometimes we need some help working with it, and um, um, so he's right about that. Where I would uh, tend to disagree with, I, I don't know if what I'm about to say is an accurate representation, but for the teachers who, I think the teachers who um, don't even talk to their students about the concentration part because they don't want them to get attached or doing the students a disservice, because there's a lot there. and Again, if we start from the place of, you know, every, some of us will never get that concentrated. It's fine. Listen, you don't ever have to get any, that much concentration. Jack Kornfield said anything, you know, you cultivate mindfulness and some ability of letting go of the mind, and it's, it's a deep, not shallow, deep value. So it's again, it's what we're all interested in, how much time we want to put in, how we want to direct our mind, how, the way we want to practice. So it, all of these are good. But the part that has the, can, can be, bring, let's put it this way, if we don't use the word concentration, if we use the word undistracted, the more, the less distracted our mind can be, the better. I think we could all agree with that, right? The more just present, clear. So that instead of samadhi or concentration, we just say be not distracted. If you get the the really deep degree, levels of being non-distracted, that gets into these blissful states. So... Um, it is something that we that is cu- warned about a lot, and he's c- absolutely correct. And I like the way that, um, if any of you know who Ajahn Tanisero is, sometimes affectionately known as Tan Jeff, he pointed out, I like the way he said it, he said, talking about how pe- teachers do shy people away because um, of, getting attached to the pleasant states. And then he said, uh, the dangers surrounding attachment to those very, very deep meditative states are much less perilous than those surrounding attachment to sense pleasures. It has been pointed out that no one has ever killed anyone, stolen things, had illicit sex, told lies, or taken intoxicants due to attachment to jhana. Whereas every day people all over the world are breaking the precepts because of their attachment to sense pleasures. And there is another quote in here where the Buddhists pointed out that even though when we see with wisdom um, that attachment to sense pleasures can lead us into all kinds of unskillful actions, sometimes until we see with some of these deeper states, the subtler levels to clinging to it don't get broken. So, just one moment, please. So I think what you're pointing to is, and we can name a whole bunch of teachers, they'll all emphasize in different ways where they put their emphasis, what to watch for. and everything. It's just a range of teachings. Okay?
1: Thank you. Um, one of the things that attracted me more about Vipassana was that besides the deep concentration that you can achieve, it also purifies the mind. And that, for me, was a very profound experience. So I was wondering if you would be willing to share how do you connect that particular practice yeah. that you're doing with your social actions, and how do you make an impact on your communities to yeah. to improve them? Yeah.
0: So let me just say this. This is going to be a short answer there about how you take what can happen from inside work and how it goes to the outside work, right? So the purification, or if I can use different words, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, the wisdom that, c- that can come from meditating I think comes in roughly three different ways. One is we can be very deep in the meditation, and in that moment, we see things that more clearly than maybe we hadn't before, and because of that, a lot of the tendencies towards uh, unwholesome states of our mind can kind of release some, and that's kind of a purification that can happen. Another way where wisdom, I'm going to tie it back in a moment to bringing it out into the world, another way where wisdom can happen is it's nothing to do with meditative states or being in deep in anything. It's the times when you're sitting in meditation and you're trying to get deep, but all you're really, that's not what's happening. And you're just struggling and you're suffering and your body hurts and your mind won't settle down. And we bump up against our suffering around it. And I actually think that's probably maybe one of the deepest places where the wisdom comes because we have to bring the mindfulness to whatever's happening and learn over time to let go of our suffering. And uh, uh, right around struggling about unpleasant experiences. And then the third way it happens is as we're just walking around in our normal life and encountering all the people and experiences we encounter. Um, and um, we get to see how the mind works and hopefully learn to let go of our suffering and all that. So there's a lot of different levels that no matter what that the purification or the wisdom can come from there. And my answer to you is this. It is possible... To practice in a way that gets kind of disconnected from society and from the world and from others and becomes more purely inward, that could happen, I think. But more, what I think tends to happen for a lot of people is, as we get more and more clear in our own minds and we and the mind gets more quiet, the heart naturally opens more. And rather, and then people. We, we, as we open more in compassion, as we see we're all fellow sufferers, my sense is that for many people, they're naturally hearts open to people and are called to connect and in some way. Now, what that action or involvement looks like, that's going to vary for everyone. But in general, um, I see that the inner work from Vipassana is very directly connected to how it manifests uh, in, in our outer world. Just, just naturally is. That's my quick answer.
1: What, what I wanted to stress was how, well, that right now we've seen that the problem as a society is that we're getting in this consumerism state, and we want to evolve from consumerism to community. Right. And being the problem is not specialization, that you can have any kind of meditation. The problem is isolation. So how do we break that to be in service
0: right. of our community? Right. I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is this: the less reactive we are in at how we're involved in the world, because if we're reactive, we can't be skillful. And the and the more just present and awake and clear we are, then hopefully the right, best, the best, most skillful, most helpful course of action will be more clear. And the less reactive the mind is, I think we have less chance of. Making the skillful choice. That's. I'll. I'll just leave it at that. If, if that's. Easy. And so I'm. We're so up against the clock, and I apologize. We just have to stop. And so this literally. Oh, so we're going to end in one minute. You just so I just talked too long. I wanted to do more uh, discussion. So. So I think we can end in a minute because what I would like to invite you to do is this. Normally you probably take five or ten minutes to do a loving-kindness ending or something. What I would like to invite you to do is to first, if you're not already doing this, sometimes when there's a talk our minds can sort of disconnect from ourselves and go out into the room. If that's happened, I invite you to, with your mindfulness, reconnect back into your body. What's going on in the heart and the mind. There may be things that came up tonight, in what I'm talking about, or whatever, that you connected with, you kind of liked, it felt good, so you might notice that. Or it could be the opposite. It could be kind of was a turn off, or something unpleasant. Or So just connecting with whatever you're experience, or kind of in between. So what I'm inviting you to do is notice whatever's going on in your experience right now, in the body, in the heart, in the mind. And I particularly invite you to, to also notice not only the experience, but how are you being with or how are you relating with your experience? And see if there can be a sense of allowing or just sort of letting be. Granted, not always easy if what's happening is, is not pleasant. But so just experiment a little. Just check it out. You know that place of just letting ourselves be actually is a great place of tremendous loving kindness for, and compassion for ourselves. Often it's so hard for us just really to do that. So just check it out see how it is. And then to end, I would like to just point out that you have, each one of us, have used our time wisely together this evening. Right? You could have done anything with your time. You came and meditated and reflected on this dharma topic, and um, you may want to reflect on your own wholesome intention or good qualities that, that bring you to dharma practice. You know, it's fine. It's actually encouraged to acknowledge your own wholesome and your own goodness, your own quali- those qualities. And then to reflect that any time we cultivate these wholesome states of the mind and heart, it's of great benefit to ourselves, but also to others. It affects everyone we come in contact with. If, we, if we're less reactive, more loving, and more free, we're going to tend to interact with others in a, in a, more, in a better way. And so that it's not possible, actually literally not possible, to practice for yourself alone. Everything you do, it affects others. And so we can end with this dedication of merit, it's called. We offer up the word merit. We just mean if there's been any, you could say, any good energy or good qualities or goodness, or we say any merit that's come about from our time together, let us offer it up um, for the benefit and liberation of all beings. So we make it more conscious. May, and wishing, may all beings uh, be happy, Uh, May all beings be peaceful and may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thank you all. It was nice to hang out with you and perhaps I'll see some of you around someday. Enjoy your evening. Thank you for listening.